Ireland has a rich history when it comes to the sport of golf, producing some of the world's greatest golfers, including Rory McIlroy, Podrick Harrington and Shane Lowry. But away from the course, innovation plays a hugely important role within the game. On this episode of the podcast, we speak to Dean Claff, the founder of Seed Golf, a Carlo-based company producing golf balls as popularity is rapidly growing right across the sport. Uh, Dean, if you want to start by telling me about your background. Okay, how did an Australian end up in Ireland selling golf balls, you mean? <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Okay, well, I'm married to an Irish girl, so I'm married to a girl from Newbridge, so that's kind of how I ended up here. So I moved over here probably about 10 years ago, I'd say, and that was just at the time when, so I would have come over here quite regularly through the early 2000s uh, with my wife, and that's when Ireland was really booming, and, and it was like when we moved here, it was literally we got off the plane, it was in 2009, I think, and it was like, what happened to you guys? You're all going so well, and that was when the, the big crash happened, you know? So um, my background is in the golf industry. So I worked with with a couple of big brands down there in Australia as a distributor and just in a traditional sort of B2B type business. So working with a company called Cleveland Golf, who was eventually bought out by Strixon Golf, and they bought out my business in Australia as well. And that was what sort of led to us moving back here to Ireland. And when I got back here to Ireland, it was kind of like, okay, well, I'm, a, I'm the golf guy, so I'll stay in the golf industry and worked with a couple of other US-based companies and I helped them set up their sort of internet businesses for the UK and for Ireland and also for Europe as well. And it was a really interesting experience because I came from a uh, traditional, as I said, a B2B business background, very much dealing in traditional sense of dealing with retailers and golf professionals and all that sort of stuff, very much a lot of face-to-face type business. And it was my first real exposure of, of uh, I guess, modern business, if you want to call it that, you know, the online direct-to-consumer, that type of stuff. And what I noticed is golf is a very conservative, traditional, slow-to-move industry. But there was a lot of activity in that sort of e-commerce space that was going on outside of the golf industry. And as, as a business manager, you're kind of watching that and watching what's going on in other industries and thinking, gee, there, there may be potential here to do something in golf. And and there's no one reason of how we came to start Seed. It was kind of like there was a bunch of different reasons. You know, I was those experience of setting up internet businesses myself for golf companies and seeing consumers, golf consumers take to the uh, to buying products online, traditional retailers kind of getting squeezed and not being able to to, to stock a, a wide variety of products and not really have everything on hand for, for customers that they wanted to. So you could see that the internet was was really the way forward, I guess. And I use this story a lot. I was playing golf with a mate of mine, an Australian fellow based uh, over in the UK, who would be quite a successful business guy himself. And he was having a bad day and he'd lost quite a few golf balls. And at the, the turn, after nine holes, he went into the pro shop and bought like a dozen top flights and I remember looking at him going mate what did you buy those for like these cheap rubbish golf balls <laughs> he just he just looked at me and said Dino losing expensive golf balls isn't fun and there really is there is some sort of you know golfers do have doesn't matter you know no one likes using losing a five or six pound or euro or dollar golf ball when whoever whatever level you are in whatever situation you're in in life so all these sort of things happen and it kind of led me to believe that customers would be open to or golfers would be open to the concept of developing something with the same type of performance as what the premium brands are offering and selling it direct and cutting out all the middlemen and all that sort of stuff and and saving some money for them so that was kind of the original concept we came up with which sounds really great from a business concept but once you stumble onto that and you kind of go well i actually think there's something here then you step back for a minute and you go geez we've actually got to develop something that plays as well as all those billion-dollar companies that are out there, and, and how do you go about doing that? And that was that was quite a challenge, and we were very lucky very early on that Enterprise Island picked up our idea really early, put us down at Carlo IT down there because they had a department of aerospace and a rapid uh, uh, 
design lab down there called Design Core, which could do CAD design, prototyping, and 3D printing and all that sort of stuff. So, so technically, we could print up a, a CAD design, a golf ball, 3D print it, take it up to the wind tunnel, do some testing, and see where we were going at all. So, so yeah, look, it was um, that's kind of was the genesis of the idea. It was it wasn't one light bulb moment. It was kind of like just you could see things were changing and business was move, um, business was changing in the markets were moving and people's preference for how they want to buy products and how they want to get it delivered was changing as well so as i said golf was slow and very traditional industry so i thought we could bring some of that modern business process if you like from from other industries that i'd seen being successful and be one of the first to bring apply it to golf so that, that's kind of what we did mm-hmm. the golf ball itself i've heard quite a few people describe it as very similar to the Titleist pro v1 would, would you say it's on par with that or how would you describe it well, we, we personally don't say that, um, and there's a couple of reasons for that. <laughs> um, but, uh, we don't want to get sued. Basically, the golf ball is really interesting, and, and not a lot of people will know this. And again, coming from the industry background, I was aware of it. The golf ball is probably the most heavily regulated piece of equipment that any golfer will use in the bag. So the size, the shape, the weight, how quickly that ball can come off the club face and how far it can go, the total distance it can go, are all regulated or determined by the USGA and RNA regulations. So once you're aware of that, it's it's kind of like, well, it's, it's pretty much a level playing field. We're all kind of designing to the same same benchmark, if you like. So, yeah, so Pro V1 is definitely the the, the banner standard. I mean, that's been the number one golf ball for about 20 years, um, and that's what everybody tries to uh, tries to tries to design to. Yeah, so that so we would look at the performance. So how we did it basically was through we did it with individual testing with consumers and also with robot swing swing robot testing as well, and would look at uh, yeah just trying to get up to those performance parameters that that, that ball was performing against. So in independent testing when it's done on. We would have used a lot of influencers, YouTubers, that type of stuff initially to get the brand out there. And they would do comparison testing with all the, all the premium products, so be it TaylorMade, Callaway, Titleist, whatever it is. And, yeah, the performance of our ball stacks up really, really well. So that's, that's been an, inter- an interesting phenomenon to be able to, I think, for a small company like us to be able to, to bring out something that does compete and does mm-hmm. pretty comparably to what's already out there has been a big help for us in, in being mm-hmm. successful yeah. Golf, golf is a sport. It's probably, I know you say things can be slow to change and move, but as a sport, it's probably one of the most innovative sports when it comes to technology and equipment and, as you say, the golf ball. Yeah, look, that's, that's an interesting point. I, I think, yes, it is. But I, I've tend to found, and I guess working for some of those larger companies, so I would have come from, uh, you know, a background of, of seeing how those guys put put products together. And, and a lot of time it's, it's technology looking for a marketing home. And what I mean by that is a lot of technology is developed that, because the regulations are in place, it's kind of done for to convince us as golfers to buy more product, basically. And whether it actually improves performance by by massive standards is is, is open for debate, I think. So what we wanted to do was use what was already out there and with the regulations that were available to us and, and design within those parameters and, and try and get something that performs as well as, as those market-leading products. So, so that's, that's kind of the... The, the angle we took. So I wouldn't say we're anti-technology. I just think that there's some technologies developed. There's a lot of, um, and you probably see it yourself if you're a golfer, there's a lot of marketing buzzwords and all that sort of stuff that come mm-hmm. up and you do wonder, is this actually doing anything for me or is this just a marketing <laughs> pitch? So we kind of come at it from a different angle, I guess. You, you touched on there, you, you kind of got YouTubers and stuff to, to showcase the ball. I know Pete Finch was one of them done it. He's obviously one of the, the biggest YouTubers when it comes to golf. Uh, just how important is using that kind of marketing tool for the business? I think for us, like we, for the first 18 months, we traded without any any um, marketing or anything like that at all. So everything was done organically and, and really, and this was from Enterprise Island. So there was three things they really wanted us to determine. And number one was 
that whole story that I just I just gave you about um, Wood, you know, being being a small company from Carlo, uh, can you know is that believable? Can could a small company from Carlo design a golf ball that plays as well as the premium products? You know, is is that believable? Number two is the seed brand. No one had ever heard of us, so would would consumers buy? the seed branded product and number three more importantly for us was would they share that story with their friends so the idea of that is when you get to the first tee on a saturday or a sunday will you go to your playing partners or your mates and say look I, I, you might not have heard of this i found this great golf ball it's you know half the price of a pro v1 or whatever it might be and, and you got to try it it's really good and that's what happened to us so for 18 months we just traded on that whole organic story and having those YouTubers and those influencers was, was just vital to that because they gave it credibility. So the one thing we had was we knew we developed a great product and we did it kind of 180 degrees from what a normal golf brand would do. So meaning a normal golf brand would put out a press release and say, this is the greatest product ever. It's the longest, straightest, best thing ever. We didn't do that at all. We said, look, we've designed this product. We think it's pretty good. You tell us what you think, good or bad. We, we're not going to mm-hmm. influence you. That was kind of an interesting story for those YouTuber guys. They don't often get companies like that coming to them and saying, well, you just tell us what you think. We're not trying to influence you here and, and try and buy your opinion or anything like that. So, yeah, it was really vital. And, and a lot, couple of those went viral really, really early. The Peter Finch one you mentioned was, was probably one of the first ones we had. And we've had, gee, there's been, I don't know how many, there's been several since then. And each time, you know, the responses, the, the reports back from them are really, really positive and the response we get from growing our customer base has, has been great. And that's that helped us expand internationally much quicker than I expected. So I think we're in about, we have customers in about 34 countries or 35 countries now. To be honest, I didn't, you know, within two years, we didn't plan for that. Just the um, the, the reach of that sort of YouTube YouTuber type market and also yeah. the Irish diaspora has a big, big part to play with that. I think half the world thinks that they're Irish and... Um, you know, we are the Irish golf ball brand and I think a lot of people in a lot of those foreign countries like the idea of, of supporting a little guy and helping a, helping an Irish company along, even though, as you can tell by my accent, I'm not Irish. <laughs> very much, we're very much an Irish company. So. Yeah. Is, is the plan to, to bring players, professional players on board soon? Particularly, obviously, being Irish, you have the likes of Larry and McElroy, big Irish golfers in the world at the moment. It's quite expensive to do that. So it's one of the so there's a couple of, of ways of how we save save our customers money and that is by not doing that so by not paying you know rory 20 million a year or whatever it might be to play a certain product um ultimately that all gets added to the cost of the product so we took the view of not doing that and also you know we don't we sort of cut out the retail middleman as well so you're buying direct from from us so that, that allows us not to cut any cost from the actual design or the performance or the materials that we use in manufacturing the product so we cut it out of other, other areas. So I, would, I wouldn't say never that we'd never do it, but it's certainly not on the plans in the, in the, current, in the current guys. And um, we are the official ball of the – we do have a, a tie-up with a, a tour over in the UK. We are the official ball of the PGA EuroPro Tour over in the UK, but we don't actually sponsor any of their tour players directly. That's just kind of – for us, it was more about exposing us to amateur golfers and that type of thing. From a quick glance at your LinkedIn profile, you've, you've worked in golf since 1988, I think I saw. It, obviously, golf must be your number one passion, is it? Uh, yeah, I'd say so. My dad was a golf pro, so that's how I ended up in, in the golf industry. So I kind of would have been a frustrated, um, I would never turn pro or anything like that, but I would have uh, had, as a young bloke, dad was a pretty good player himself and had a lot of good players come through his club. So I would have been exposed to all that type of environment. So I would have had uh, visions of, of doing something like that, but was never good enough. So... I just kind of fell into this side of the industry and then one thing leads to another and then you end up with a, you know, working for a couple of, as I said, a couple of those larger 
US companies managing some fairly large territories like Australia and Europe and UK and whatnot, and you, you learn very quickly about how to put all this together. So, yeah, it's just been a gradual progression over that time to, to get to this stage. Yeah. So, yeah, golf would definitely be like I'm a golfer through and through, born into the game basically, grew up in the back of a pro shop as a line I use a lot. So, yeah, so I'd definitely be a golfer, but I'd have other interests outside of golf for sure, but golf would be a big one, definitely. Obviously, from 1988 to now, it's 32 years. If you asked yourself in 1988, would you be working in golf in 32 years' time? Would you have believed it? Yeah, I would have, I would have thought I would still be in golf in some way. Yeah, I think as a young kid, I don't know, maybe this is just an interesting mindset, but I always, I never wanted to do, like I never wanted to work for a normal company or have a normal job or anything like that. So I always wanted to work for myself and set up my own business in some form. I didn't know exactly what that was. But I always wanted to do that. And so even working, as I said, working with those larger brands, it was always in the back of my mind is, you know, I'd like to try and do this myself that day. And that could be, I often say, the borderline between arrogance and confidence. It's, it's not, there's not a huge amount of gap between those. So that could be overconfidence. I'm not sure. But I think, um, yeah, some people that ha- have a mentality that that's what they want to do. They want to do their own thing and run their own race. And, and starting what we did, running a startup is a very, you know, it's a very interesting it's not for everybody. It's, it's not an easy road sometimes. Mm-hmm. A lot of ups and downs. Um, you know, you hit a few roadblocks and you've got to keep pushing through. But um, but some people, are, and I think I would be one of these, are just kind of attuned to that's what they like doing and that's what they get, get enjoyment out of. And, you know, I do this more for, you know, I really genuinely enjoy what we're doing and get a big kick out of, of what we're developing. And, and seeing seeing the response from from our customers is just brilliant. So, mm-hmm. so that you know, that's kind of more important to me than the actual money, than your financial gain i think so it just depends on how you how you're wired so but this is yeah i wouldn't be i suppose to answer your question i probably wouldn't be surprised that i'm still sitting here that kind of seems like a natural progression for me throughout that career to, to stay within golf and and just develop your skills as you go along yeah it's, it's interesting that you say you kind of always didn't you didn't want to work for another company you kind of always had your your mind made up that you want to do something yourself and then obviously your dad been a, a golf pro himself while he's employed by a golf club he's kind of semi self-employed as well um so you probably got to see a bit of that kind of business mindset from your dad and that was probably what got embedded into you yeah definitely i mean they, they certainly they in a, this is going back a few years now that it was a sort of a different arrangement whereas it was their business so they were kind of contracted by the club to manage the the whole facility really yeah so he, he if you know if, if the weather was bad and it was raining and there was no golfers well he didn't get paid so you know, you kind of do witness that the ups and downs of all that really closely. I'm sure that's had an impact or had an influence on, on how I came to do this. Uh, and uh, I don't know, it just always seemed like, I think the flexibility is very appealing if, if you're into that sort of thing, to be able to set your own hours. And not only that, I often found working with the US-based companies was that they do tend to be, uh, not a knock on them, they make great products, but they do tend to be very US-centric. So they would give you products and go, okay, here's your, here's your product for, you know, 2021, here's your price point, this is how many we want you to sell. And whether it fitted your market or whether that's what your customers needed or didn't matter, that's just what they wanted to sell. After doing that for a while, you kind of get a bit sick of that and would rather come up with something that, you know, people are actually looking for and is actually going to have some benefit for the people you're trying to sell products to. So so we're very customer-centric and everything's based around what's best for the customer. Yeah? You, you spoke briefly earlier about Enterprise Ireland. Just just how influential were they in the, the growth of Seed Golf to this point? Yeah, they've been super helpful, actually, really helpful. So um, so we started off on a on one of their, uh, I don't know what they call it, like an entrepreneurial development program, which was how we ended up down in Carlisle IT. So when I pitched it to them originally, it was just literally just an idea. 
just me and an idea, nothing more than that. So they, they must have seen something in that. So that was a really interesting process to go through that. They had a lot of mentors, advice, uh, all sorts of stuff. So that went on for about six months. And then we were very fortunate to link up with a company called Startup.com, which is a, a, it's an American-based company, but based here in Dublin now as well, that look for startups like us that have global potential and kind of help you find funding, uh, again, help you with mentoring, all that sort of stuff. And, and more importantly than that, actually, probably help you with contacts. So they were able to, a lot of that international expansion I, I spoke about, they were very influential in, in helping us um, you know, break into some of those territories. So, and all that, again, all that's happened organically. That's not from me chasing any of that sort of stuff. It all kind of came to us. And I often say, you know, I've had businesses in the past that haven't worked that successfully. So, and it doesn't matter how, you know, if it's not a great idea to start with, it doesn't matter how much time or effort you put into it, it's just never going to get somewhere. Whereas this one, good things just keep happening to it. And, and it's kind of like, yeah, if you set it up, if you've got a great idea and a great concept and it appeals to the right people from day one, then it kind of generates its own momentum. So we've definitely found that with Seed. So, yeah, running, I wouldn't say like, uh, I wouldn't say like we're expert at, at it or anything like that. We've had, had failures as well. But, yeah, I think if you get the right, just get the right mix and it's very hard to describe describe exactly what that would be but yeah if you get the right mix you certainly know it and you can feel it and that's definitely the case with C. Mm-hmm. Another thing you spoke of earlier is just the, the costs that, go, that are involved with golf and it is quite an expensive sport especially if you're a higher handicap you're obviously your tendencies you're going to lose a few more golf balls than the, the, the better players of the game so for you, the, the, for Seed, the, the golf ball, it's, it's much cheaper than the likes of a Titleist or a Bridgestone or any of those. Just touch on that. Like, why, why is the price so low? Um, as I said, well, our mantra really is same performance, half the price. That's what we try and achieve. So any product that we bring out, we've moved into other products beyond golf balls now. So any product we bring out, we try and try and do that same thing. So we look at whatever the market leader might be and we try and bring our customers the same performance as that and for half the price. And as I said, how we do that is we don't pay the big professional endorsements, so we don't go down that route, that route of, of going, well, we're the number two played golf ball on tour now because we've just paid, you know, 30 guys or 40 guys, whatever, a year to do that. That all adds up to the cost. And we, we, we cut out that retailer margin, so you don't have to go into, uh, you know, a big retail chain or even a local golf professional and, and pay that retail margin. So you're just getting it straight from us, the manufacturer, essentially, and, and that cuts out the cost as well. And I think with the internet distribution, that idea of being able to get stuff direct from us logistically, you know, freight, shipping, all that type of thing, it's, it's just a much quicker and, and more cost-effective way of doing that. So we just looked at where we could shave cost out of the traditional business model without actually reducing down, the, as I mentioned there before, with the quality or the design of the product. We didn't do any of that. If anything, we probably spend more because of being smaller. We probably spend more than, that, than the larger guys do per, per piece, you know. And uh, we just looked where, wherever we thought there was excess cost that didn't need to be there, we cut that out. So... And it's really interesting the whole tour play thing. I mean, that definitely that definitely does work from a business perspective of, of having having uh, that sort of endorsement. But ultimately, I don't know. We're just finding that people are happy. They they really like the product. They're happy. They sort of test it themselves if they're comfortable that it performs as well as as whatever they were using before. Then yeah, they're more than happy to save some money. So so yeah, it's kind of interesting. You don't I don't know necessarily that you need it. There's a couple of different ways to skin a cat if you like. Since, since the lockdown restrictions were, were lifted, I think in June, golf has seen a huge uptake here, both in Ireland and the UK. What 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 it was COVID like for the business itself? Like, were you seeing sales go up? Yeah, definitely. Uh, golf's definitely having a moment. You're 100 percent right there. So for us, it was a, it was quite a like we're a young startup, as I said. So we, we're doing reasonably well, but we're still really only a small business. So when that when that hit, when the lockdowns all came, for us it was a very difficult decision. Do we keep all our staff on? You know, what do we do? So I have to 
be perfectly honest and say that that government support, you know, the wage subsidy that they put in place was was really super beneficial for us. So we elected to keep everybody on in place. We didn't put anybody off and we elected to work, kind of use it as a creative period and use it as an opportunity to be able to go, okay, we've been so busy for pretty much since we started and all these fantastic things we'd like to have done and that could be developing new products, upgrading the website, whatever, all those sort of creative type projects, which we had on the back burner and had kind of half started but hadn't finished because you just don't have the time to do it. I kind of took the view and said, okay, let's just let's just sort of cool the engines for, for a couple of months here and, and work on all that sort of stuff. And that's exactly what we did. So everybody worked from home. I was amazed how productive we were. Built a new website over that period, a really, really solid one actually, um, and, and started developing a heap of new product, which is starting to funnel through very slowly through now so we released a new glove we've got a couple of new colored golf balls coming through worked on a golf bag range we're working on some outerwear pieces as well so a lot of a lot of stuff was, was going through that period then when golf switched back on it was amazing so we turned all our, all our we do a little bit of digital marketing and obviously those influences and stuff that i mentioned so we turned all that off when shutdown happened because you're kind of thinking well you've got to preserve resources here and try and just you know stay afloat basically mm-hmm. and uh yeah like the minute it was turned back on i can't remember the exact day i think it was may 18 or something like that so the 12 days of may throughout just again just organically without advertising i think that was the best month we'd ever had in our history and then every week's just been like record week after record week since it's come back so and there's three three reasons i, I put down to that one is we've done a really good job in in like as you said before we we came on air here was that you know you, you've heard of seed before and the brands getting out there and all that sort of stuff and the reputation of the brand is very good so we've done a very good job on that front so a lot of people were aware of us and maybe hadn't tried us the whole issue of corporate responsibility i think has been really really interesting over the covid period and what i mean by that is you you see guys like richard branson and a few of those guys from the uk getting a bit of stick in the press about being the big billionaires in inverted commas and then putting their hand out for government assistance or sacking their staff or all that sort of stuff the minute things go sort of sideways a little bit so there's been a bit of a push that You've probably seen it yourself in newspapers and online and on radio and all that sort of stuff to support the little guy. So rather than buying your coffee from a big chain, you know, go and buy your coffee from a local cafe there because they need your support. And I think we definitely benefited from that where people go and look, this is the little guy from Ireland. We'll give them a bell and, and I've heard about their balls and we'll see if they're any good or not. And I think as well, there is definitely a reluctance to go back into retail stores. You know, people are definitely reluctant to, to shop as they used to shop. So that whole online thing, you know, anecdotally, and you see it, Amazon's a prime example. I think they're putting on like 75,000 staff because of the increase in demand over that period and, and we're no different. Honey, you know, a very, very small fraction of that. But yeah, we've definitely seen a, tr- a transition of maybe, you know, three to five years of normal transition from traditional retail into the online space condensed down into the space of about three months. So yeah, I think there's been a lot of factors there that have, that have helped us to, to, to make some hay and it's been amazing to be perfectly honest with you. And I, I can't thank our customers enough. You know, they really have supported us greatly through that period and, and I'm looking at it now thinking this is, I don't know if it's going to be a blip, like it's just a sort of a one-off thing or whether we go into a major lockdown again and maybe there's a second wave and we have that complete shutdown. I mean, who knows? No one can really predict the future but at the moment anyway. But right now it's been, been very good for seed for sure. Fantastic. Looking to the future, I know I just said there could be a second wave the way numbers are going at the moment, but looking further down the line, where do you hope to go with the business? What What's your long-term goal? Um, well, for us, I mean, we'd like to be, uh, our sort of unstated ambition here is to be the number one direct-to-consumer golf ball brand in the world. So 
for us to do that, that means expanding beyond the base of Ireland. Ireland's been a fantastic place to start and has allowed us to, as I said, expand into like 30 countries or something so far. But, you know, we, we'd like to put a base in the UK. We'd like to put a distribution base in the US. We'd like to do the same in Australia as well. And there's all plans to do that coming into early 2021. So we had sort of a soft launch over in the States in January of this year, which went really, really well, better than we expected. So, yeah, there's plans to sort of meet that demand by actually having physical product on the ground over there and being able to service those markets in a similar manner to what we do here. So, yeah, so global ex- global expansion, global domination, you know, all that sort of stuff. Yeah. <laughs> um, my final question, it, looking back over the last four, four or five years since you, the idea started, is there anything you do differently? Uh, is there any one thing I do differently? That's a very good question. Look, it's um, not really. I think you need, I mean, there's been a lot of bumps in the road. It hasn't all been smooth sailing, but you need those. You've got to have the lows to appreciate the highs is, is a great saying I, I always find. Um, but I also think that, um, you know, without those, oops, sorry about that, without those, um, without going through some of those trials and tribulations, you know, it, it helps improve your your product offering and what you're giving to the customers. So, yeah, there isn't much I change about seed at all. No, definitely not. Super. And um, look, if you want to give people, uh, any anyone listening um, who's looking to buy the seed golf balls or looking to get in touch, do you want to just let them know how they can reach out to you? Yeah, definitely. The only place you can buy them is on our website, which is seedgolf.com. So what we're doing at the moment, which we started just through COVID, which has been really successful, is we offer a trial pack online. So for the people that have maybe heard about us and haven't given us an opportunity or haven't tried them before, so we just make it really easy. That's 20 euros. You get a dozen golf balls for that. You get um, a packet of uh, 100 of our recycled bamboo golf tees and our little, um, we call it a bunker. It's a mini magazine that goes in there as well. So that'll give you the full seed experience. It's like 20 quid, it's not a lot of money. You can test them out, see what you think for yourself. If you like them, you can come back and get some more offers. So, so yeah, seedgolf.com is where you can find us and have a look and see what you think.